I went in, I wasn't feeling so hot. And within a very short period of time, they gave me Regeneron. It's called Regeneron and other things too, but I think this was the key, but they gave me Regeneron. Now, you might not believe everything former US President Donald Trump says, but in fact, since he received Regeneron's monoclonal antibody cocktail after contracting COVID towards the end of 2020, a number of these new treatments have been given emergency approval around the world. And according to our investigative reporter, Carolyn Wickware, UK pharmacists may soon be involved in an NHS service to deliver these monoclonal antibodies or MABs to COVID patients in the community. Um, and I was just snooping around, as you say, online, um, and I found a, a confidential document, and it was just there um, for the taking, so I had a look. We'll hear more from Carolyn on that document and what it might mean for UK pharmacists later in the episode. Plus, PJ Pod takes a peek inside an aseptics lab that's been making up these MAB cocktails for a recent clinical trial. So uh, the product is being made in one of our positive lemon and fluoroacetate. That's the sort of glass box with the rubbery arm inserts um, and the seat in front where someone will sit down. And... Yeah, exactly. So that is basically the process box that we prepare our monoclonal antibody in. It is quite restraining just because it's quite a long sleeve mm-hmm. and the process box is quite wide. And also the, the sleeves are quite stiff as well. So it's quite difficult to kind of move your hands around. Welcome back to the PJ Pod. I'm Dawn Connolly, Features Editor here at the Pharmaceutical Journal. And I'm Julia Robinson, Clinical and Science Editor. So you made it out of the aseptics lab then, Julia? I did. Back to the normality of podcasting over Zoom, unfortunately. Well, we're glad to have you back anyway, because you've been speaking to different experts about all things MABs and COVID, haven't you? I have indeed. Now, obviously, we all know that there are a couple of treatments for COVID and a very successful vaccination programme. So where do the MABs fit in with all of that? So the vaccine rollout has been a huge success, but we still have just a handful of treatments for people hospitalised with COVID and even fewer for those in the early stages of disease. So this is where some of the MABs being investigated could be of value. And there's been some promising trial data recently released suggesting that they can help to reduce hospitalisations and deaths. Okay, so why don't we start from the beginning? Can you briefly tell us what MABs are and how they work? So MABs are lab-made proteins that mimic or enhance the immune system's ability to fight off harmful antigens, so things like viruses or tumour cells. They've been around for the past 20 years or so, um, but it's only really been in the last decade that they've become really important treatments and they're actually used for quite a wide range of different illnesses. In terms of explaining how they work, it's probably best if I pass the baton on to an expert. I spoke to Al Edwards, he's Associate Professor at Reading School of Pharmacy, and he was able to explain in much better detail how these treatments work. In a way, the simplest way of thinking of them is we all know that we generate an immune response to pathogens or to vaccines. Um, And the clever bit about a monoclonal antibody is that you can take out of a human or an animal one very specific antibody molecule and then mass manufacture it in a bioreactor and make huge amounts of it biosynthetically and then you can infuse it back into a patient. So it allows us to produce medicines which are based around our own body's natural defences, the antibody, but they are selected for a particular target. 
that we identify medically or clinically as being important. So most pharmacists would have come across MABs in the treatment of inflammatory conditions like rheumatoid arthritis. And in fact, two of these familiar treatments are also being used in COVID, tocilizumab and sarilumab. They're being used in combination with steroids to treat patients in hospitals with severe COVID, but they're designed to target inflammatory pathways. So for the treatment of um, inflammatory diseases such as autoimmune conditions, where the main driver of disease is inflammation, for example, in the joint with rheumatoid arthritis, we have found great success in treating with very selective antibody molecules which bind to and block those inflammatory pathways. And these are the existing medicines that were repurposed because one of the things we found with very severe COVID is that part of the problem that the patient suffers is an, you know, an overwhelming inflammatory response in the lungs. And if you can keep somebody alive during that inflammatory process by blocking some of the inflammation but not all of it, you can actually prevent severe disease and death. But the bottom line is that we had anti-inflammatory medicines based on antibody drugs which were used for autoimmune conditions and inflammatory conditions, which turned out to be very effective at reducing the harm caused by COVID-19. So here he's talking specifically about MABs that target inflammation. And that's what tocilizumab and cerilumab do. But there's actually another way that MABs can be useful in the treatment of COVID-19. Yes, haven't some of the MABs been specifically designed to target the SARS-CoV-2 virus? Yes, so there are two different ways that you can use MABs to treat an infection. Al explained it this way. One is to try and, as would occur naturally, use the antibody to block the viral infection. And the other way is kind of trickery, where we're using an antibody molecule because it's a very convenient way of inhibiting a particular inflammatory pathway. And that pathway is important for the disease. So if we can block that inflammatory pathway, we can actually help the patient. Didn't Trump receive a cocktail of MAVs? Yeah, he did. But actually, Al told me that there's a very solid biological grounding for combining MABs into a cocktail. One of the characteristic things about our natural immune response to a pathogen is we will typically make many, many different antibodies which bind to many different parts of the pathogen, and they work together in concert. So one of the disadvantages of taking one specific antibody molecule and making lots of it is that you've lost that ability to bind to lots of different parts of the virus. And this might have a number of different knock-on effects. Um, but the, the solution to that, obviously, is therefore to make an artificial mixture and make multiple different antibodies against slightly different parts of the virus. And if you blend those together, first of all, they may be more effective. But the second thing they will do is it's much less likely that you will find a virus molecule that evolves rapidly to dodge that antibody. So would that mean they potentially protect us even when there's new variants of the virus? So Al said it's still early days and we don't yet know for sure, but it's likely this will be one of the benefits of using a cocktail of MABs rather than one on its own. So for the MABs that specifically target SARS-CoV-2, what's the evidence we've got so far? So this is where it all gets a little bit complicated, um, but I'll take you on a bit of a deep dive into the evidence um, that we've got so far. Okay, I'm ready. Go for it. So there are several cocktails of MABs that are being investigated for the treatment of non-hospitalised patients with mild to moderate disease and risk factors for COVID, as well as some monotherapies. Two cocktails being looked at by the MHRA as part of a rolling review 
are Regenkov, which is made by Regeneron. That's the one that Trump was given. And this is a combination of Casavirimab and Imdevimab. And there's one from Eli Lilly, which contains Bamlamivimab and Etisevimab. The MHA are also looking at a monotherapy called Sotrovimab, and that's produced by Veer and GSK. Wow, that's a lot of Mavs. Have you been practising those? I certainly have. So in terms of the trials, there have been quite a few and some are still ongoing. But the most promising for these treatments include a phase three trial of the Regenkov cocktail, which found that it reduced hospitalisation and death by 70% and shortened recovery time by four days. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah, really good. And then there's also the Blaze 1 trial, which found that a high dose of the Eli Lilly cocktail reduced the risk of hospitalisation or death also by 70%, while a low dose reduced the risk by 87%. Also, one of these drugs was found to be active against the Delta variant, which is really great. Yeah, that's reassuring. And finally, we've got the Comet ICE trial, which found that citrovimab monotherapy reduced the risk of hospitalisation or death by 85%. Mm, So some pretty promising results all around there. Have these been published or are they still just lingering the realms of preprints? Yeah, so as I said, some of these trials are ongoing. Um, I think some of the results have been published. For example, the one for the Blaze 1 trial, I think, have recently been published. But yeah, some are yet to appear in peer-reviewed journals. But we do actually have on the website, we've got a live feature which details all the ongoing covid therapy trials so if you're interested we'll put a link in the show notes cool and what about the recovery trial i think some listeners will have heard of that one didn't they look at mabs in that one as well yeah so almost ten thousand patients who were seriously ill in hospital were given the Regenkov cocktail in the recovery trial alongside usual care and the results for that suggest that for these patients, the treatment reduced the risk of death by 20% and the length of hospital stay by about four days. And this was in patients who had not mounted their own immune response to COVID. And they're also referred to as being seronegative. OK, so it seems like it might be most effective when it's used early on in the disease then. Yeah, absolutely. So are any of these MABs that target SARS-CoV-2 currently being used in practice in the UK? Well, like I said, there hasn't been an official approval in the UK. The MHRA is carrying out a rolling review to assess the evidence as it emerges. But elsewhere, the two cocktails and monotherapy I've just talked about have received a positive scientific opinion from the European Medicines Agency. And they're already being used in the US under an emergency use authorisation. Well, actually, it might not be too long before we see these new MAB therapies being used here in the UK, because we recently ran a news story about plans that are in development to introduce an NHS MAB service in England within the next few months. Here's our conversation with PJ's resident sleuth, Carolyn Wickware, where she told us what she'd uncovered. So, Carolyn, you were at the NHS Confederation Conference back in June, weren't you? And that's where Simon Stevens, the NHS chief, first mentioned this MAB service. And I believe that prompted you to do a bit of snooping, didn't it? Yeah, so um, Simon Stevens was talking at NHS Confederation Conference um, and he mentioned a a new service that he was um, that they're looking into about delivering monoclonal antibodies through the community. Um, And I was just snooping around, as you say, online. and I found a, a confidential document and it was just there um, for the taking. So I had a look. And, w- and what did Simon Stevens say at the conference? 
So he was um, basically telling um, healthcare professionals to gear up, were his words, to deliver this treatment in the next several months. That was his that was his time frame when they would become available. Um, he said he, he mentioned that the community services would need to be delivered through uh, regional through regional networks. Um, yeah, that was that was pretty vague. It was pretty vague at the time. That's why we sort of started that hunt. Does the document shed much light on the situation then? Does it talk about what role pharmacists might have in this service? Yeah, so um, it mentions pharmacists having two two different roles. Um, the first is really uh, an oversight kind of role, developing protocols that um, will basically um, set out how treatment is going to be delivered safely, essentially. Um, and then the second role will be their involvement in the preparation of um, the antibodies in, in like an aseptic setting. We've talked a bit about the evidence for the different MABs, like in different groups of patients, but in this document, does it talk about which patients they're going to be looking at? You know, are we talking the community or in hospital? Um, yeah, so it, it does give a list. It says it's still up for discussion, um, but it does give a list and that includes sort of the, um, the list of patients that we're quite familiar with um, as being up, up first for vaccines, the clinically vulnerable, those in care homes, individuals over 70, um, and also patients with impaired Im- immune function who the document says will benefit probably the most. Does it go into details about how the service will actually work? Where will patients get these monoclonal antibodies and when will they receive them? Yeah, so in terms of when they're going to receive them, they, it talks about a three-day window that it w- would be most effective. Um, and how they'll receive them. Um, it, it Again, it's not really decided, but the preferred option is through a community setting, which is quite interesting because it would see patients um, being contacted by their GP to tell them that they're eligible, These vulnerable, this vulnerable group, um, would be contacted by their GP to tell them that they're eligible so that if they get a positive PCR test for COVID, they can go straight to the GP or a treatment facility um, who will then refer them on for treatment with the um, monoclonal antibodies. Sounds like it's going to be quite a big job then to get people in to have these treatments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I should add that there's also an outreach model that they're talking about um, for really vulnerable patients who might not be able to get to an outpatient centre. Um, so for those patients, they might be able to receive the treatment at home. Mm, so it could actually be quite a lot of work for um, pharmacists are going to be making up these treatments potentially mm-hmm. yeah and have you heard has nhs england said any more about this since we sort of covered this in a no nhs england um hasn't hasn't said anything else but i did actually get an email back from um Raliette onatade um she's chief pharmacist at the bart's health um, nhs trust and she said the um, planning hasn't really progressed too much but there is an expectation that the service will start around the end of the summer at the earliest wow that's pretty soon isn't it and considering, you know, maybe not many pharmacists know about this yet, unless they've read your news story, of course, it's going to be quite, quite an adjustment. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of work. Some UK pharmacists have already been involved in making up MAB cocktails for use in the recovery trial over the past year. To find out more about what's involved, I took my microphone to King's College Hospital in London to meet James Chung, a senior aseptics pharmacist. He taught me through the process of making the MABs and took me on a tour of the rather snug aseptic unit. 
So we're going to take you through to our aseptic unit. So we can't actually go in here with our microphone, can we? Because because it's aseptic. But we can look through the window to see what's going on. So can you tell me where do you make the monoclonal antibodies? So uh, the product is being made in one of our positive lemon and fluoroacetate. That's the sort of glass box with the rubbery arm inserts um, and the seat in front where someone will sit down. And... Yeah, exactly. So that is basically the process box that we prepare our monoclonal antibody in. It is quite restraining just because it's quite a long sleeves mm -hmm. and the process box is quite wide. And also the, the sleeves are quite stiff as well. So it's quite difficult to kind of move your hands around. And I think some of the operators find it quite hard to prepare the doses in these um, sleeves. So it comes out that hatch in the wall and then down the corridor and then the fridge at the end? Yep, exactly. Once the dose is in the fridge, uh, we will then contact the ward to let them know the dose is ready. Then they will send one of their staff to come and pick up the dose. And then from there, they will start, you know, setting up the, the infusion set um, for administration. So all in all, this it's quite an involved process. There's a lot of stages, a lot of people involved, and a lot of procedure that needs to be met in order to do this properly. I think quite a lot of people think that it's quite straightforward to get the dose made up in aseptics, but as you can see here, after I've been showing you around, that is actually not quite a straightforward process, just because there's quite a lot of steps that have to be done before the products being made in our isolators. After a while, the aseptics unit started to get a bit crowded, so we headed somewhere quieter to leave the pharmacists to get on with their work. And how long does that normally take from start to finish? It could take as long as two hours, even though the actual preparation time is, doesn't take as much, you know, as you know what you expect uh, it'll probably take about 15 20 minutes to get it made up but the whole process can last roughly two hours what were your thoughts on the proposals from nhs england that uh, potentially hospital pharmacists could be involved in the preparation of these cocktails for people in the community for covid the main obstacles that we still have to tackle is around the logistics while it's good to you know have this road out nationwide we also have to take into account what impact it can actually make to the pharmacy team especially in the aseptics just because we have to make sure you know we have enough capacity to be able to accommodate this request at the moment we only have one aseptics unit uh, where we only have one positive isolator to prepare these um, monoclonal antibodies cocktails it really depends on the area that um, where it's going to be rolled out, especially in an area that may not have a proper aseptic facility, that it could be tricky to get these doses delivered to the patients. Uh, whereas if you have, you know, some of the larger hospitals or hos any hospitals with an aseptic unit, then it might be possible to get, you know, the doses delivered uh, to the patient's house or in the in a dedicated treatment centre. So which MABs were they making at King's? So the cocktail they've been working on was the one being looked at in the recovery trial, Casavirumab and Imdevimab. And do these MAB cocktails need to be stored in the fridge? What are the sort of logistical problems that will be involved? So James explained that the MAB cocktail should ideally be administered within four hours of being made up. However, if it's not being used, it can be kept cold in a normal fridge for up to 36 hours after it's been prepared. But certainly for the recovery trial, it was an on-demand service where they were preparing them as patients were randomised. 
And that did make it quite tricky to fit it around their existing work in the aseptics unit. So for example, preparing chemotherapy. So these treatments do need to be kept cold. So if you're planning on transferring them from the aseptics unit to another site or hospital, the cold chain needs to be maintained throughout. So it sounds like logistically rolling out this service to the community, even when it happens, is going to be really tricky. And presumably aseptic units are going to have a capacity issue as well, not to mention the price of these drugs. Do we know any more about what the demand is likely to be like for the service? Well, actually, since we spoke to Carolyn, she has discovered some more information about the MAB service. Apparently, the expert group who are overseeing this met twice in June. And during those meetings, they discussed a bit more about which patients might be eligible for treatment in hospital and in the community. And how are they going to identify these patients? Overall, there was consensus that prioritisation of patients should be based first on capacity to benefit. So that might be those with an impaired immune response, a poor response to vaccination, or those who are unvaccinated. And then it will be based on risk of morbidity and mortality. In the community, the group suggested that a dynamic national target list would be developed using principles similar but not identical to those used for the clinically extremely vulnerable list. But the final decision will be made following assessment by a trained clinician. So this could be a pharmacist and it will take into account things like vaccination or allergy status. In hospital, the proposed population being discussed are people who have confirmed COVID and negative antibody tests and are receiving corticosteroids. The group also has meetings on the 22nd and 29th of July, but it might take a while for any outcomes from those to be available. So watch this space. Overall, I think it's fair to say monoclonal antibodies are a really exciting area and the success that's been seen, particularly with the cocktails over the past year, will lead to more of these treatments being rolled out, not just for COVID, but for other therapeutic areas as well. So aseptic pharmacy units may have their work cut out for them over the next little while. Yeah, well, from what we've heard, aseptic sounds very cool and it looks like we might need a lot more of these pharmacists over the next few years. Aseptics pharmacy needs you. Maybe they should make their own posters or something. Good idea. Anyway, we'll be following this story closely, of course. So keep an eye on our website and social media channels for any updates. And keep an eye on the PJ Pod feed wherever you get your podcasts, because we'll be back soon with another episode. That's it from us this time. Thanks, Julia, for your rigorous reporting on this. You're very welcome. And thank you for listening. Here at the PJ, we really appreciate your support for our journalism. The best way to make sure you never miss an episode is to hit follow or subscribe wherever you access your podcasts. The PJ Pod is brought to you by the Pharmaceutical Journal, the official journal of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. This episode was produced by Jeff Marsh and presented by me, Dawn Connolly and Julia Robinson with support from Nigel Prates. See you next month. Bye. Bye.